you, thank you, thank you. Every one of you, what an amazing time together. And I meant that. We've been through too much to quit now, amen? Think about how your friends already think you're crazy coming to church, all the things that you've gone through standing up for Jesus and righteousness. I just felt that we needed to have that Holy Ghost party and relax and enjoy what God has for us. And uh, thank you, thank you so much for being here as well. Open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24, verse 49. I won't be too long. I will appreciate uh, and, and respect your time being with us today. I don't mind giving it up to more worship. As they say, uh, in heaven, I won't have a job anymore, but the worship leaders will. Amen. We'll, keep, we'll be worshiping up there forever. We're going to continue on in what I was talking about last week by God's grace, power from on high. Somebody say, power, power. from on high. Amen. We're getting it from the Holy Spirit from on high. And uh, last week I covered so much, I didn't feel like I could get it all in. So we got a part two coming for you today. And I, I, as we've already shared, the app and the website always have our previous messages and notes. So what you'll be seeing here is uh, what's on there for you. So go back and listen to it or share it with your friends. Uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus is speaking. He says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Does everybody see where I got the sermon title from? Right there in the scriptures, power from on high. We notice that Jesus is wanting them to stay to receive a powerful gift from on high, coming from heaven. Let's now go to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is speaking again, and the author is the same. The author of Luke is the same author of Acts, and that is Luke, the traveling companion of Jesus. Here now Jesus adds a little bit more detail, and he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Everybody say, the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Do you have the one that they call the Holy Spirit? He is a person. He is not an it. He's not a force. He's a person. Do you know the ghost called holy, as the old timers used to say? And do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? So the power from on high, we now know, is the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Are we in Jerusalem today? No. Are we in Samaria today or Judea, which are like outlying areas? No. But are you in the ends of the earth? Yeah. If you look at where Israel is to where we are, it's almost at the ends of the earth. So this is where we are today. Now let's see what happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. We see now Jesus ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down. Everybody say, send them on down. Send them on down. Send them on down. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. Send them on down. I think I messed it up, but y'all remember some of that. I'll get, I'll get singing here. So the whole uh, Jesus goes up, the Holy Spirit comes down. Amen. And he was sent on the day of Pentecost. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. So think of a tongue of a fire, that part that kind of whips back and forth. So the fire spreading out to each one of them. And verse 4, all of them, does it say some of them? No, somebody say all of them. 
thank you. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now notice this right here. Does any of the language that we have read from Luke to Acts at the beginning, now to further on in Acts, does any of that language sound like salvation language? Are you hearing the word salvation, redemption, born again? Are you hearing the word regeneration? Any of those terms in this, uh, what we've already read? No, all we're hearing thus far is power, signs, and wonders. Why is that important to distinguish? Because some people think this is where the disciples became Christians and were born again. But that's not true. They were already born again and had an encounter with the Holy Spirit while Jesus was in his resurrected body before he ascended to heaven. All of the language we see here is the language of empowerment to be a living witness for Jesus. And of course, you know, I'm skipping through some sections, but I read through it all entirely last week. And so what we are supposed to get from this is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the clothing of the Holy Spirit, synonymous terms, or the gift that the Father gives, these are all terms describing not being born again, but empowered for service. So can you be a Christian that is not filled with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues? Absolutely. The disciples were already Christians, followers of Christ. They were regenerated in their spirit, and yet they had not spoken in tongues or been empowered. Now let's keep going. Just to wonder, does this apply to us now in our times? Well, when Peter started preaching in verse 7, of chapter 2, he starts off by quoting Joel to tell everybody what's happening. He said, in the last days, somebody say in the last days. Thank you. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. So let me ask you a question. Are we still in the last days? Are you still in all people? Yeah, you're not an alien people, right? You're an all people. That's the kind of people he's talking to. So in the last days, God says he will pour out his spirit. If you're still in the last days and you're still part of a people, then you are to have the Holy Spirit poured on you. And now he clarifies, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Just sons? No. Just daughters? No, both. Sons and daughters. Your old men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Just old people? No. Just young people? No. Both. Old and young. And then he says it again, even all my servants, both men and women. So it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, a servant or a master? No. Even all my servants, both men and women, both genders again. How many know there's only two genders? Praise God for biblical truth. That will help you out. If you ever want to make a baby, you need to understand that, okay? I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So he's very clear at this point that what they are experiencing is now a part of a new age that's coming upon the earth. And that age is called the last days. Has the last days ended? No, we know it ends when we are raptured to be with Christ. The seven-year tribulation comes, and then he pours out his wrath upon the earth. We have not yet been raptured. We are still here upon the earth preaching the gospel with signs and wonders. And then in verse 39, to skip all the way to the end of his sermon, he says, the promise is for you, pointing to those people right there, your children, so that's for their next generation, and for all who are afar off. Are you the disciples or the Jewish people living in the time of the disciples? No. Are you one of their children, like biological children? No, but who are you? Far off, way over there in the Americas. That's where you would have been, right? Where the whole entire thing was probably covered with trees and wildlife. For all whom the Lord our God will call. 
So who is this promise for? For them, their children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So let's just pause and review right here. In the book of Luke, we are told, Jesus says, I'm going to give you power from on high. He then continues that narrative in the book of Acts, and he says, the power from on high will be the Holy Spirit, and he will empower you to be a witness. We then see on the day of Pentecost, a Jewish festival, that as the disciples are gathered, the Holy Spirit comes in power, clothed in tongues of fire, and they begin to speak in unlearned languages, languages they did not study to learn. Then Peter preaches, and he says, this is the start of a new way age, the church age, which is in the age of the last days. He says, this is what's going to happen in the last days. God is going to pour out a spirit on everybody, not just prophets, not just priests, not just kings, like we see in the Old Testament. Everyone is going to get dunked in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Everyone is going to get, you know, the ability to get submersed and Holy Ghosted, roasted and toasted in the things of God. And then at the end, he goes, just in case you think this is just for you and your kids, it's not. It is for all who are far off. And as long as the Lord, our God, is calling people, in other words, saving people, calling them to salvation, this promise of empowerment, being clothed with power from on high, is for them. Amen? Amen. Let's go now to the book of Acts and see the pattern. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes from on high and clothes them with power? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we see that they speak in tongues and that there's wind and fire. That's pretty cool. But then what happens in Acts chapter 10? There's tongues and they praise God. What happens in Acts chapter 19? There's tongues and there's prophecy. What we see is that every time they list the evidences or the signs of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are tongues consistently. Now do you understand why we teach in this church that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or being clothed with power or receiving the promise of the Father is evidenced by speaking in tongues? Do you see it right there? That's the pattern. Now there is one time when they are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but no manifestations are listed. But what we see is that it must have been so powerful that a magician wanted to pay to have the power to give the Holy Spirit to others to use for his own gain. So I say to my friends that are Baptists or Catholic, and they say, oh, I've gotten the power of the Holy Spirit just like you Pentecostals or Charismatics. I say, well, what does it look like when you receive it? And they're like, well, it's just pretty much the same. And I'm like, would a magician want to buy what it looks like when you guys receive the Holy Spirit? And they go, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And I go, gotcha. And I bring them to the book of Acts, and I say, it was so significant, it was so amazing that a magician like David Blaine or Chris Angel wanted it to bring with him as a traveling act because of his corrupt heart. He was cursed because of that. But it shows us even when it's not mentioned, something powerful must be taking place. Now, you notice here it doesn't talk about feelings, doesn't talk about people falling out, dancing and shouting, which we have been characterized as people who believe this, that that's our manifestation, that we're the ones that clap really loud and shout and raise our hands. We're the Pentecostals. No, that's not what is supposed to be our first evidence. What should be the evidence is that we are being baptized with power by the Holy Spirit manifesting new languages, and doing the works of God as the apostles did. So let's just pause here right now. Are you any better than Peter? Because if you say, I don't need this, then you're saying you're better than Peter because Peter said, I need this. Is there anybody here that's saying, I'm better than Paul because Paul did this? 
So whatever now we learn is tongues from the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. We should treat with respect, and we should not think that we don't need it because if we're one of the uh, called ones in the last days, not only do we need it for ourselves, we need it for others. Is anybody here fighting spiritual battles at this time? Is anybody here wanting to see miracles? Is anybody wanting to see deliverance and demons cast out? Is there anybody here wanting to see prophecy be brought forth so you can see what God's up to, that it's not just a surprise, when everything's going wrong or things are happening. All of those gifts, as we're about ready to learn, come from the empowerment. Now, let's answer some questions. Let's scroll down, please. We have in our notes a two set of questions that I want to begin with. Questions regarding being born of the Spirit and then being baptized by the Spirit. Everybody say, born of the Spirit and baptized by the Spirit. Because this is where the confusion comes. Some people don't know how to make the differentiation. We're known as Pentecostals because on the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit came down. We're also known as Charismatics because the word charisma in the Greek means gifts, and we still believe in the gifts of God. There are a lot of denominations that still do. As a matter of fact, the fastest growing Christian movement are those who believe like us. We started uh, formalizing this in the 1900s as we saw the last days increasing with more signs of the times, and now there's over 500 million, upwards of 700 million people around the world who believe as we do today. Sadly, we have some granolas in the bunch that are fruits, nuts, and flakes, okay? Some of our kind has blown on people, waved their jacket around, tried to sell you holy water. Don't listen to them. I apologize on behalf of them. Chances are they wouldn't know the Holy Spirit from the next door neighbor, okay? They don't know what they're doing. They're foolish. Some people try to prophesy for money. Now, remember, abuse does not mean disuse. Just because someone is using the broom wrong and beating somebody up with it doesn't mean you can't use the broom to clean your house. Does everybody get that? So just because someone does something wrong and misuses, it doesn't mean we disuse it. Proper use is the answer to misuse and abuse. So we want to set the record straight and be open to all that God has for us. Well, let's start at the beginning. What does it mean to be born of the Spirit? You don't have to turn there with me, but in the book of John, chapter 3, he said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How many are familiar with that? So a spiritual rebirth needs to take place so that we can have a connection with God. Not reincarnation, but a spiritual rebirth. That is not the language of what we just read. Did you hear anything about spiritual rebirth at the end of, of Luke and the beginning of Acts? No language of rebirth, correct? It was all the language of empowerment. I'm not trying to trick you. Follow along. Was there any language of rebirth at the end of Luke or the beginning of Acts? No. That language is found in other places in the Bible. Once again, the spiritual empowerment, being baptized by the Spirit, isn't rebirth. Being rebirth is when you put your faith in Jesus. John 3.16, let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Sorry, I mixed the NIV with the King James at one part there. I kind of like put it together as a buffet because some of you are like, no, it's not gave, it's sent. But how do we become children of God? According to John 3, 
Verse 16, whoever believes. Does it say whoever believes speaks in tongues? Does it say whoever believes and is baptized? No, it says whoever believes in his one and only son shall have eternal life, won't perish. Okay, so I'm going to stick with all of born in the spirit with John. So there's no taking out of context. You can follow the flow. In John chapter 3, you get the full understanding of what it means to be born again. It's a spiritual new life. We're spiritual beings. When Jesus breathed into us, we became living souls. He took us from being little dirt balls, you know, on the ground to, and little puppets to making us individual souls when he breathed on us. But when we sinned, we lost that spiritual life. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. It's not in the notes, but go to the Bible, Ephesians chapter Chapter 2 says, for you were dead in your transgressions and sin. What does that mean, dead? How can we be dead if he's talking to us? Dead spiritually, separated from God. When the prodigal son was, uh, when he came back, the, the father said, my son who was once dead is now alive. Dead didn't mean he didn't have an existence. Dead meant that he was separated from a relationship with his father. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, just like Adam and Eve being passed down through the ages, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world world. And we could continue, but go back to the notes just for a simple understanding. Why do we have to be born again spiritually? Because we were born dead spiritually. Now our body will die, and then we get a resurrected body when Christ returns, okay? So the body is still that thing that we carry with us called the flesh that can be tempting, and it can come against our spiritual life, and we have to learn to subject it to the things of God. Can I get an amen for that? Your flesh is still with you, but your spirit is new. Jesus had perfect flesh, but even it could tempt him. Because remember, Adam and Eve were tempted even when they had perfect flesh. And Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Until the flesh is in a glorified state, it is weak. Why should a person be born again? Because they want to see the kingdom of God. They want everlasting life. Do you want everlasting life or do you want to perish? So get born again if you want everlasting life. Now here's the, the question that has to be answered. When were the disciples born again? Well, it's, it's not in the notes, but let's go there. John 20, verse 22. He taught him at the beginning of John. And remember, every gospel author who's introducing you to parts of Jesus' life wants you to get the full story. So if he started off John the author writing about the life of Jesus in John 3 about being born again, don't you think at some point he's going to conclude when they were born again, when they received the birth of the Spirit? Do you think John's going to do that? Nobody thinks he's going to do that? I think he's going to do that. Go uh, put in another place NIV here. Go to John chapter 3, verse 8. What is the person of the, the triune God that's going to make us new at rebirth? Father, Son, or Spirit? Which one's going to make us new at rebirth? The Spirit. Look at John 3, verse, say, 7. Go right up uh, to verse 7. What is of, uh, no, verse 6, rather. Flesh gives birth to what? But Spirit gives birth to Spirit, so you should not be, at, be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Now I'm going to ask the question again. If John in chapter 3, which comes before chapter 20, if John in chapter 3 is talking about being born again, that's what he's saying, Jesus taught them, don't you think John wants to end the gospel by showing you when they got born again, yes or no? Yes, thank you. Now go to John 20, that passage that we were just at, John chapter 20, verse 21. Look at what Jesus does. Jesus is resurrected. He's in his perfect body right now. And then he looks at them and he says, uh, or rather it says about him in verse 22, and with that he breathed on them. And what did he say? 
receive the Holy Spirit. Now, is Jesus just breathing his hot breath on people and nothing is happening? Just breathing on them? No, the same one who breathed on us in dust, what happened to us? Became a perfect living soul. What happens right now to the disciples in their soul when he breathes on them? They become the perfect soul that he wants them to have. They're born again. Because I was born once a sinner, I'm born again a saint. Are you listening? You're not still a sinner after you become a saint. You're one or the other. Now, you may not always act like a saint, but by definition, you're a saint, okay? So sometimes what people try to do to get away from this is they say, this, this was just Jesus acting out what would eventually happen on the day of Pentecost. So there was no transference of the Spirit. They were not born again until the day they spoke in tongues. And now that's why there's a group who broke off from us, the oneness Pentecostals, and they say, you're not saved. You're not born again unless you speak in tongues when you receive the Spirit. But do you see why we make the differentiation? We, as Trinitarian Orthodox Pentecostals, are in line with the Baptists, the Methodists, etc., that you can be born again without being baptized in the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. That's why we believe that. Because here, they receive the Spirit, but they're not speaking in tongues. What did he say to do as we go back over what we just read? He says, wait in Jerusalem. For what? The outpouring of the Spirit. And you will receive what? Power. Are you going to get born again that day? No, you're going to receive power that day to be an in-time witness. You're going to prophesy. You're going to speak things on behalf of God. Going back to the notes, what do we see? We're born again by our faith in Jesus Christ, given a new spiritual life so we can enter the kingdom of God. And this was received with the disciples before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which came for power. Now let's go to being baptized in the Spirit, questions that come up all the time. What is it? Are we supposed to be baptized in the Spirit so we can act weird in church, fall down and go boom, shake at the altars? Those kinds of things may happen, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to receive power. Haven't we learned about that? Luke says you'll be uh, clothed with power. He's quoting Jesus. Then Jesus said you'll be given power. Can it be any more clear? What is this for? This is not for salvation. It is for power. Now, how do you receive it? Do you receive it by being baptized in water? No, because some people received it before being baptized in water, like in Acts chapter 10. They first get saved, born again. Then they get baptized in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, and then they get baptized in water. So it's not connected to your baptism in water. Baptism in water is a sign of your death, burial, and resurrection in Christ Jesus, like how we took communion. That's what we're remembering in communion and in baptism. Communion is an ongoing remembrance of the body and blood partaking of Christ and being one with him. And the baptism is our initiation into the church, representing our Christian, our Christian walk, our testimony. Now, number two, how does one become baptized? By receiving it. Clearly, it's simple. It's not something you become more spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. No, I speak in tongues, you know. It's like, yes, you've achieved it. Here's the star next to your name. And I do that not to be funny, but to give an example. That's not my real tongue. Can I, can I hear everybody say amen to that? Amen. I am not disrespecting the Holy Spirit. That's why it's not my tongue. It's a funny noise that I make to make you laugh, but it makes a point. You don't get like spiritual, 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 bing, and then now you get it. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit the day I was saved. 
I knew of the Holy Spirit's power as a young child and walked away from God during uh, my teenage years. So when I rededicated my life to the Lord, it was natural to open up the gates of my heart and let him flood me with his power. And I can guarantee you, most of you were all more spiritual, are more spiritual than me now than I was then. So if you have not received uh, yet the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you're more than three hours saved, you're more mature than me. So this is not to be something that you base your maturity on or your spirituality because even those that had the gifts, like those in the Corinthian church, they were misusing it so much it was a mess of a church that he had to rebuke them and said, some of your sins are worse than those in the world. But it's not a sign of maturity. It's just a sign that you're empowered to do what God wants you to do. So then you might say, well, is it really that important? It is. Why should you be baptized in the Spirit? It's because you want to be an obedient disciple of Christ and have all the power that he's promised you. It's not like conceal and carry. And by the way, I am a pistol packing preacher. And I, amen, you're safe. You're safe here. <laughs> it's so funny. I look at some churches and they have the no guns here. And I'm like, that is the stupidest thing you could ever put in front of your church. Number one, criminals don't follow laws. And number two, they're like, here's easy killing because the good people don't have them. If someone ever tried that here, you'd be making a lot of people's dreams come true. We have planned it out so many different ways, where to go, what to use. If, a, if an active shooter came in here, it's, it's on like Donkey Kong. Men, women, we have a lot of different pistol packing uh, preachers here. So we're safe. We're safe. And trust me, no one's going to get hurt. So don't start no stuff. Won't be no stuff. Amen. Uh, but my, my point is some people are like, nah, that's not for me. I don't need that. And then they think the same thing about the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't, I don't need that. So, you know, there's a police officer out there. You know, you know there's an angel out there. I, I don't know if I need this. No, the difference between this and conceal and carry is you personally are attacked by demons all the time. You personally are going to face challenges in your life and family where you need the power. And you cannot be dependent on just running over to so-and-so's house at 2 in the morning trying to get them to pray for you. And we have people do that all the time. My church doesn't do deliverance. Will you come cast out some demons? My church doesn't prophesy. I need a word. Will you come pray for me? And we do it lovingly all the time. But the point is, is to get you off of the Madam Cleo 1900 thing, you know, to get you off of somebody else's spirituality and learn to have your own spirituality and to learn to be strong in the Lord because he wants you to have power so that if the devil wakes you up, you go, all right, devil, let's get it on in the name of Jesus. I've been waiting for you. Instead of calling up your neighbor saying, I need your help. Honey. You can get back up if you want, but you can say, devil, I got all that you need in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that you don't need backup at times. I'm just saying we need to become spiritually powerful in our own Christian walk, not dependent upon others. You can, you once again, live in a pretty safe neighborhood and be dependent on a police every now and then, but that is not your, your daily battle in Christianity. Your daily battle is continually against the powers of darkness, a lion who's seeking to devour you. And like I said, it's not just for yourself. You are going to run into people, whether it's in your family or on your job, who need real spiritual deliverance. And you just got to be ready. My mother did not know November 5th, 1995, that she'd be praying evil spirits out of my life that day. I was her son on drugs, living far away from them. But when I came home to get saved that day, that was a real power encounter and the deliverance was needed. And my mom and dad right there at the living room couch were able to see the spirits come out of me and to get set free. Amen. So the power is for everybody. 
That's why we should do it. Be obedient. Don't act like you don't need it. Now, here's some random questions that come up because we live in a day and age where most of you have probably either seen this abused or misused, and so we want to set uh, the record straight. Please scroll up so they can see it. Here's some questions that come up today. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit still for today? Everybody would say yes. And I can show you many different reasons, but how about the one we just already went through in Acts? It is for you your children, those who are afar off, and for all whom our Lord God will call. Any questions? Is there any way you don't fit into that category? It would be impo- the only way you could fit in that category is if you're an alien from another planet. So are you still in the last days? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit still pouring out his power? Yes. Are you an all? Yes. Now, is the Lord calling you? That's the question. Do you want to get saved? And that's what he's talking about there. And if you want to get saved, this is for you. Uh, Number two, uh, people, even among our groups, argue about this. From the charismaniacs, I mean the charismatics, to the Pentecostals, there's difference. We have some friends here, Bob and Julie Valkanet. Let's give it up for them. They're from Chicago, but now live in Lake Geneva. They're waving, but they don't know why. I'm going to put them on the spot. They've been around for a while, just like my family has. And I was raised up among Charismatics and Pentecostals. Well, here's a difference between the two. John Wimber was a good friend of my hometown pastor, founder of the vineyard. Here was the difference the Pentecostals and the Charismatics have. How do you know you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? John Wimber would say, go to, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Any gift there that comes out of your life, you know you've received it. He would say, go to the book of Acts. Anything that's happened, you've received it. Why are we as Pentecostals more dogmatic about the tongues? Because we believe if that is the consistent sign, then we also should look for it. And it's not to divide us among others who believe similar to us. It's not worth fighting over. But I know this for a fact, that no one in our church or ministry who has ever seeked the gift of the Holy Spirit and being baptized did not receive tongues. Everybody does. Now, after that, different gifts come. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been consistent in our ministry and the places that I've been taught with speaking in other tongues. And we shouldn't be against it. We should be open to it. Some people try to use that as an excuse. I say that because they go, well, I won't speak in tongues, but I'll prophesy. Why not do both? Amen. Let God give you all that he's given you. And once again, all the disciples did this. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Now, the third thing that comes up, and this would be more among the Baptists, those who actually don't speak in tongues, they'll try to put a kibosh on our Holy Ghost party. They'll say, well, hey, in Acts chapter 2, verse 6, it says they understood them. So the languages weren't like your guys' languages. They weren't just made up babble. There was actually languages that the people were understanding. So if you guys want to be accurate and speak in tongues, you better only speak in tongues that people understand. Well, the first thing that I ask them is I go, Mr. or Mrs. Know-it-all, do you speak in tongues that people understand, baptize in the Holy Spirit? And they go, no. And I go, why are we even talking about this then? Because I speak in tongues people don't understand and that they do understand. God has used me to speak in Indian dialect before twice. And so I've actually seen that miracle happen, whereas they haven't, and yet they're trying to put the kibosh on it. What they don't understand is the difference between the sign, the evidence of being baptized in the Spirit, and the gift of tongues with interpretation of tongues. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that there's nine gifts. One of them is tongues and interpretation of tongues. So let's understand this. If the languages were always known languages like they were in Acts chapter 2, why is it we need a spiritual gift of interpretation? Everybody would always understand it. 
The second thing is Paul contradicts it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, he says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So it is truly only the Spirit-filled people, which is another general term to carry over for Charismatics and Pentecostals. We prefer that these days, Spirit-filled people. It is only Spirit-filled people that can untie the knot they have tried to tie. Let's understand this. In Acts chapter 2, they speak in tongues. People hear and understand. In 1 Corinthians, 2, Paul's, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 2, Paul says nobody understands. Contradiction or compliment? It's a compliment. It is complementary, not contradictory. Let me explain. The tongues that no one understands is vertical between us and God. When I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I pray to God. And the Bible says that no one understands I am uttering mysteries and that I am edifying, as it goes on to say then in verse 4, that I am being edified in my own spirit. But when I have the gift, it is now horizontal to people. I need to interpret it lest I be looked at like a madman. So Paul said in this context, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but when I'm with you, I will speak more, uh, just I would rather speak five intelligent words than all of those tongues. So here, let's take, for example, today. Have I spoken in tongues today? Just assume that I have. Do you guys believe I spoke in tongues? Yeah, I spoke in tongues. But how many English words have I said to you compared to tongues? See, tongues was between me and God as a prayer language, uttering mysteries that no one can understand. But now that I come before you, I'm speaking in a language you can understand to edify you. But what if God wants my tongue to be a message to you? Well, I should speak it to you then as a spiritual gift, like they did in Acts 2, which is our point. It can happen, but it's not always how it's going to happen. But let's say I do. I feel in my heart, God wants me to speak to you in tongues. So I go, la, 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 la. Okay, now, when I do that, it's unlearned to me. I have never learned that language. Now, when you hear that language, if you don't have the interpretation because it's a known language, somebody better spiritually interpret that. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, and you've probably heard it at every wedding, though I speak in tongues of men or of angels. Hey, don't you know there's angelic languages? So I've spoken a language. Nobody understands it here, understands it here, but I've spoken it as a message. Now the Bible says you better pray for the interpretation to interpret what the angels are saying. Because the angels are not up in heaven going, que paso, what's going on, man? Michael and, and Gabriel aren't talking to each other in probably earthly languages. They have their own languages. So if I have now spoken a tongue to you as a message, and I've put it out there as faith that that's supposed to be for you, and you're just looking at me like, I have no idea what you just said. It's, it sounds like you're talking Elvin from the Lord of the Rings, you know? What I need to do is go, Lord, give me the interpretation or somebody spiritual hear the interpretation. And if I find that I'm in a habit where no one ever interprets, I probably just ate too much pizza and the Lord's like, stop doing that. Because if it doesn't get interpreted, it's not good for anybody. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So now let's go down to the next question. What if I don't think speaking in tongues is my gift? So somebody goes, well, if there's a gift of speaking in tongues that's a message with interpretation... 
that may not be my gift. And then we clarify to them, we're not talking about the gift as a message. We're talking about the empowerment, the sign that you've been empowered. Because in the book of Acts, they only understood them in chapter 2. In chapter 10 and verse 19, nobody else is understanding them. So I've heard all the arguments against it. But to be honest, everyone is called to have the endowment of power, speak in tongues, and begin to operate in the spiritual gifts. Because if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, how are you going to get the gifts? And the Bible says then, how are you going to be able to fulfill the command to speak in tongues and not forbid it? So then lastly, what is the purpose of speaking in tongues? How many want to be a powerful witness for Jesus? Be baptized in the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. How many want to glorify God in spiritual ways, speaking mysteries? Amen? I mean, about four of you, but I'll keep going for you four. How many want to build yourself up in your faith? Amen. How many want to intercede for the lost with groanings and words you don't understand? How many want to sing and praise to God, pray to God in spiritual ways? How many want to battle the devil in spiritual warfare? Amen. Go, let's just show one of these. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. Because once again, people say, well, I don't understand what happens when I speak in tongues. My mind doesn't understand. Exactly. That's actually spoken about in the scripture. I would say go back over the message and read 12, 13, and 14 of Corinthians because I'm having to only pick out some parts. But look at what it says there in verse 14. If you could scroll up for me, please. Paul is very clear that there's going to be English and uh, or, or uh, known tongues, and he calls that understanding and spiritual tongues. Watch. For if I pray in a tongue, my what praise? My what praise? My spirit praise. But my mind is what? Unfruitful. So some people have tried to say, well, speaking in tongues is just you speaking other languages for the glory of God. Nope. Number one, then people would understand it. And Paul says nobody understands it. Number two, we wouldn't need a spiritual gift of interpretation. If you learned it, you could interpret what I'm saying spiritually. So this cannot be referring to known languages. This has to be to unknown languages. And the Bible says your spirit prays, but your mind has no idea what's going on. That's why so often uh, our, us in the church, we encourage you in your times of difficulty, anxiety, when your mind is overwhelmed, speak in tongues to God because mysterious things happen in your spirit as you do that. Paul said this, and can I just put on the break right here? Everybody, take a deep breath with me. It is not my fault. Most of the church world doesn't do this. So is it okay if I just pause right here and just ask you to pray for me as I explain all these things? Most churches operate without the Holy Spirit. That's why a lot of you, when you come here, you look at me with blank faces. You're like, I had no idea I was going to be learning this crazy stuff when I came here. But listen, is it my fault the church you went to last week did none of these things? At least we're trying to apply what the Bible actually says. So give us a break. Take time and study before you judge us as the crazy ones. The, the missionaries always tell stories about when they bring over their national pastors from China or Africa, etc. And they, and they ask them, because I've heard it from multiple people. They say, well, what did you think about church today in America? What did you think about what we did here. And, and they always respond back like this. It's amazing what you guys do without the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the smoke machine, you have the singing, you got the lights, you got people coming and going, shaking heads. No Holy Spirit, no miracles, no miraculous signs and wonders. It's amazing. It's amazing, you know. It's like the Dr. Phil show around here. Don't you think church should be a little bit different than the Dr. Phil show? 
You came, sat down, heard something, and went home. So that's why there's all these instructions. So there's instructions of how we do it. So when someone says to me, oh, it's not my gift, it's not a gift that you're going to use as the Holy Spirit gives you to help people. That you may be right. God may not give you that gift a lot of tongues and interpretation or of healing, whatever. God can pick whatever one he wants at a different time. But this is the outpouring of the Spirit you're supposed to have at any moment that you can pray in a tongue just like you pray in English or in your known language. And it even gets cooler or crazier than that. Look at verse 15. So what will I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. So you're supposed to feel comfortable enough in your spiritual gift you can start speaking in tongues and singing. Isn't that awesome? Okay, now let's go all the way down to chapter 14. Sometimes people don't agree with how I'm explaining all the things. Keep going down, please. And right here towards uh, verse, what is it, 28? Keep going down, please. Right around, uh, yeah, it's going to be a little bit further here. Thank you. Let's go to verse 39. People then will listen to this, like our Baptist friends. Remember, they're Christian because they're born of the Spirit, right? Are they baptized in the Spirit? No. Are they the ones you're calling up when you saw something scary in your room move at night? No, you're calling up one of us, right, because we're ready for that. We the real Ghostbusters. Are you listening? Seriously, man, I've had people call me up and be like, my church doesn't do this. Can you come help? And we're like, da na 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 Ghostbusters, you know, we're coming. We're ready. We're ready for spiritual warfare. Your church has no clue what to do. I even went to cemetery, I mean seminary, with professors that would say as they would go overseas to do their Bible lectures that there would be deliverances going on, and they would take two steps back and be like, y'all handle this now. Seriously, and the guy even told the story because he said it freaked him out. And I'm like, I'm one of them, like the people you go to see in Africa, I'm like one of them right here. Because we need some power here. There are demons here. They're not just in the, you know, the undeveloped world. They're everywhere. So now listen, let's say at the end of the day, this is a lot of stuff, a lot of detail. I'm trying to piece it all together. I feel like the guy with yarn trying to show you this is how it all works. At the end of the day, what are we supposed to understand? Brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So let's say you get into an argument with the Baptist person, and, and then they say it should be done like this and that and this and that. And then you go, okay, but you guys still speak in tongues at Moody, right? And they're like, no, we forbid it. And when you're like, Moody, that's Moody. What are you doing? The whole entire point of this was to tell you how to do it. And at the very least, if you didn't understand it all, don't forbid it. But I love Moody because I'm telling you, I was about, about ready to go to school there. And they said, yes, we'll let you come here, but you can't do none of that spiritual stuff here. So when it comes to chapel, no gifts, no tongues, no interpretation, no prophecy. Don't say you got the gift of healing because we're going to think you're crazy, you know. Okay, but hold on. The entire, literally, the entire chapters, 12, 13, and 14, spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Here's how you use them. Here's how you don't use them. Okay, what'd you get out of it, Moody? We're going to forbid it. Imagine if, imagine if you just read an entire thing about race car drivers. Here's how you become a race car driver. Here's how you do the thing. Here's how you switch the gears. Here's how you drive around the laps. And then at the very end, hey, don't stop being a race car driver. And you ask your friend, what'd you get out of that? Not to be a race car driver. I'm going to forbid it. What was the point of reading the whole thing? This entire purpose is for us to do it. So even if, because I try to be gracious in this, because there's been a lot of weird things done, I'm trying to say, even if you don't understand it all, I'm not saying I understand it all, even if you can't write it all down and make it all to make sense to you perfectly, can you at least agree we're supposed to be clothed with power? 
Are you, can you agree that you're supposed to have things following in your life that represent the biblical miracles and gifts? Amen. Back to the notes. And so don't just brush it off and be like, well, it's not my gift or whatever. No, don't do that. Take it serious. And last but not least, thank you, sir. How can I know for sure that God will baptize me with the Spirit and I won't get the spirit of Chucocabra or Chupacabra, is that how you pronounce it? Or the boogeyman spirit. Because I was told from Father Tom that the Pentecostals, they have false spirits, you know. Maybe some other denomination told you, oh, those people have spirits over there. You know, how do I know if I'm here today as a Christian, I won't get the spirit of Chupacabra over the boogeyman. The Chupacabra is like a Latino boogeyman, right? Go to Luke chapter 11, verse 11. Here's how you can know if you are born of the spirit that you are protected when you ask God spiritual things. For you to be demonized and for you to encounter that, you would have to be open to false doctrine that diminishes Christ in your life and to come out of a relationship of being born again. So let's assume that everybody here is born again. You truly have Jesus in your heart. You love Jesus and you're learning this, right? You're learning how we understand this. This is Jesus' word to you. Also in Luke, listen. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? You see how Jesus now speaks to us? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Now, do you remember in the book of Luke that evil spirits are called snakes and scorpions? He says, I've given you power. Another power verse in the book of Luke. Power to tread on what? Snakes and scorpions. So you're supposed to see the correlation in that verbiage that once you're spiritual and you're talking to God about spiritual things, you don't have to be afraid of evil spirits, snakes, serpentine, scorpion-like spirits coming to you. You are protected. If then you who are evil, don't you love Jesus just throwing that in? In the middle of the parable, by the way, y'all evil, let me just tell you that. So different than Joel Osteen, so different than modern preaching. In the middle of the parable, y'all know how to do this, right? Even though you evil, and then he just keeps going. Most people get offended by that. We tell people all the time they're evil, and they're like, how dare you call me evil? Because they're thinking like Charles you know, uh, Manson and, and all these people. Evil, by God's definition, is someone not born again, still in the dead spiritual state. So he's like, if you, then being evil, folks, as you are, know how to give good gifts. Notice, plural, gifts, spiritual gifts. He's applying it there. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So you do not have a, shouldn't have a fear of this. Go back to 1 Corinthians 14 in the notes, uh, just right here there. Uh, look at it in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. As he begins the discussion, what does Paul say? Be eager to desire these gifts. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts, plural, from the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that today, that gifts are for you? Do you believe that you're supposed to be clothed with power from on high? Do you trust that the Father is a good Father and won't let you get hurt in the process? All right, let's just pray where we're at before we get all Pentecostal and loud again. Vinny, would you come, please? Because I don't want us to be mistaken in these times for being manipulative or over-emotional. I think emotions are fine as long as they're under control and of the Spirit, but... Let's all just in our own heart look at our lives and ask ourselves this question. Number one, am I born again? Am I born of the Spirit? 
If you are here today and you're not born again and you didn't receive Christ during the communion time, you can do so right now. Simply believe in Jesus. In your own heart, open up the gates to let God in. Open up the door and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Be the captain of my ship. Forgive me of what I have done against your word. And today you will be born again. Whether or not you get baptized, you should, but you'll still be born again. Whether or not you participate in receiving the power with speaking in tongues and the other gifts, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A few moments. Are you born of the Spirit? Those who are, check your heart. Ask God to cleanse you, purify you. Anything in there that doesn't belong, get it out. Now, speaking to everyone who is either born again from the past or in this moment, speaking to all born-again believers, have you received power from on high? If you have, begin to thank the Lord and sing or pray in tongues to yourself vertically between you and God. No message for tongues here right now. We did that earlier. Right now we're going to keep speaking in our known language to people. But speak in a spiritual language or sing a melody from your heart because I want to speak to those who haven't. Before you think about tongues, before you think about gifts, if you have not experienced those things, would you just let the Lord know today you want power from on high? Because remember, that's the reason. Tongues and prayer and gifts and miracles are all expressions. So if you're hungry today for the power of God, just ask the Lord to baptize you, submerse you in his power. Lord, submerse everyone in your power today. Pour out your spirit of love on them. Listen to the words that Jesus used. Clothe them with power from the inside to the outside, oh God. Fill them up to pour them out. And now, as a sign that that power has come to you so that you can keep seeking the gifts, using tongues and prayer, and use it as a message should the Lord give you the interpretation. Listen to your spirit and speak out what God gives you, whether it's a language you have learned or not. Those who only know how to pray with their understanding, keep praying. But then give silence to your heart to hear if God will give you languages you have never learned. They may be known languages or they may be angelic languages, but either way, they're new to you and you're going to speak them out even right now. No one's manipulating you. No one's forcing you. You're welcome to come back and not participate in any of the times we do these things. But I wanted to slow it down today so that everyone can understand why we do what we do. So when you come into a service and you see that we have times for spiritual gifts or at our altar calls, people will pray for you. Now you know where it's coming from. We're coming from our best understanding of the Scripture, living out the New Testament pattern few moments, few moments. Band and altar workers, will you come? We'll add the addition of people to pray for you in just a moment, but right now, you and God, those of you speaking in tongues or just singing a melody in tongues, keep going. Those who have not yet received that utterance of, of heaven, just ask the Lord to speak to you.